One of the cool things I get to do uh, is that I get to be with that worship team like every week. So that's awesome. I know that you guys only get to hear them a couple times. And everyone's like, oh, is it you Sunday because the band is performing? I'm like, no, they're just... They're just leading worship, and that's what they get to do, and we do it. Uh, I'm privileged to be a part of uh, uh, Hope Chapel and the youth ministry here and uh, to be the pastor of students, but but I'm always excited. You know, I've been doing youth ministry for a very, very long time, and uh, and I've been at the church for for, four, it's actually 15 years, been doing youth ministry for over 25 years, Uh, and so... To be able to see one of the coolest things I love to do is to hear them sing. And then we go through these, youth ministry has these ups and downs in it. There's like one year you'll graduate like 25. And then your youth ministry for a lot of times it's like really small. And then you'll graduate three. And then you'll graduate two. Uh, but with God sort of has a way of working it out. That when it needs to be small, God's really trying to pour into a group of individuals. And then when it's really large, God's saying, listen, now that I've poured into you, I need you to go and share the gospel. And so that's just the ease and flows of youth ministry. We're at a place right now where there is just a plethora of talent uh, in our youth ministry, especially for our band, um, which is awesome. We have some new additions uh, that you saw that are in the sixth grade and they're helping lead worship. And then we have some that are seniors that are ready to move on to the next thing where God's saying, okay, I'm going to give you some more. And even though you're graduating some, I'm going to give you the talent because we serve a God that never is going to leave us and never going to leave us without. He is always to fulfill us. So let's pray and we'll get into God's word this morning. Father in heaven, we come before you, God. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to hear the word that you want to give to us um, through your scripture, um, through the message that you've placed on my heart. God, I pray that share that that every breath that I breathe, every word that I say is the breath and uh, that you have breathed into me through your spirit. God, I pray that as it can, that it comes out of my mouth, that God, that it resonates with us, not just as I say it, but as I, uh, but that it resonates in my heart as well. That this is something that not only that I'm preach, that I'm saying to them, to the, the people in the congregation, to live by, but that I will take it in myself and say I need to live by this myself because there is no difference between me being here up front and them being there. You have all called us to be missionaries and to be able to share the gospel no matter where we are. So, Father, open our hearts, break down the boundaries that are, and the, the, the things that are sidetracking us of what's happening after church and all. And, and then, God, just allow us to hear from you this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning I share a message is, um, for me, it's this song that we just sang. It was a couple, uh, it was over a month ago. It was before YC, um, uh, one of our stu- former students actually played the song for me, and I was like, oh my gosh, this song's amazing. I love it a lot. Not only did I love it, it began to make sense to me. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this idea of God being reckless, and I was like, oh, it makes sense to me. God leaves the 99. Neil talks, talks about that, um, about how God just just sort of left the 99, and he talks about being the shepherd going and taking care of the one. Um, it talks about how God just the idea of reckless, the word reckless means without abandon, meaning that doesn't care what happens to them. Um, and for me, I, I began to start thinking there was this idea of it makes sense. But then the biblical, the pastor person of me was like, now, is God really reckless? Does that make sense? Is God reckless? The God who is the creator of all things, who put things in order. 
can God be reckless in that manner of speaking? And I, I started thinking of the word reckless and I thought of, well, what does that mean? What does reckless mean? Well, when we think of reckless, we think of like a reckless driver. Like, you know, mass, people around the country would say Massachusetts drivers are reckless, that we don't care. We just do our own thing. I put it in the context in what I do is I see it as a group of our young men hopped up on caffeine and energy drinks now trying to go to sleep at a retreat where there are no parents involved. That is reckless. It's actually kind of foolish and dumb if we give them. And if you know me, I don't allow it. But when they have it, they are reckless. They run around crazy and they don't they get themselves they get themselves not in trouble, but they don't care. They're running over each other and people are getting hurt. And it's just, uh, you know, this past YC, I roomed with four of them. It was crazy. (laughs) Not much sleep, recklessness happening everywhere. And it's, you know, I say bless, you know, if you're around Christian circles, if you've been around, you've always heard somebody say, you know, those boys over there are reckless. Bless their heart. You know, there's this bless their heart, meaning that, hey, I can say whatever I want bad about them as long as I put bless their heart at the back of it, meaning that, you know, God's going to forgive them. God loves them. You know, I love them with the love of the Lord, not my love, but the love of the Lord. And uh, so there's that bless their heart idea. And so but this morning when I when I'm what we're talking about is this idea of God's recklessness in our lives. And I asked the question, I posed the question, is God's love reckless? And, and I began to think about his love for us. And I, I think when we begin to break that down, we start, have to start asking the question, do I allow God to love me? With all of the, with all the, this idea, uh, do I allow God to love me? I think it's hard for, uh, for some of us to understand not only how God loves us, but the why God loves us. We are first challenged by not putting, uh, our first challenge is not putting human standards on God's love. Because his love is beyond our human understanding. And as much as he shows us how to love and what godly love looks like in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where many of you may know this chapter where it says, you know, uh, love is patient, love is kind, love uh, endures all things, love. And many of you are like, oh, I've heard that. Even if you don't go to church a whole lot or read the Bible a whole lot, you've all been to weddings and they'll read that passage. It's called the love chapter. And God in that, in 1 Corinthians 13, begins to, to line out what love looks like or should look like. Paul writes this letter to the, to the church in Corinth, and he, and he, and he explains this, this passage in chapter 13. And for a lot of us, I, I would pose that it is a reckless letter to this church. Because by all standards, it does look, it's not only reckless, but it's countercultural to what they're living now and how we live our lives this love that he talks about in 1 Corinthians is a love that is, that is unselfish, that is putting others before themselves, that this idea of love, it looks very different than our love because it is not concerning of oneself, but it's about others. This love in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, is in no way a self-serving love. It is a love that needs to be given in order to understand. This love is unconditional. 
where our love and how we live our loves and our culture now is always conditional. The reason why it's conditional, because how we live our lives and how the world tells us to live our lives is that there has to be something in it for us. Many of us have been in relationships where our love is conditional on how they love us. We'll give as long as they're willing to give back to us, right? As long as, hey, we'll, we'll enter into these relationships with our friends and we'll trust them. And, you know, we say, hey, I will trust you, you know, but you've got to earn my trust. You've got to earn it. You've got to show me how it works and then you've got to earn it. Then I'll trust you. If you want me to love you, well, I've got to understand. I've got to feel how you love in me before I can love you. Where God's love says, I love you in spite of. I love you regardless. As much, as much as you don't love me, I love you. That's what God's love is all about. This conditional love, this idea of uh, the number one rule in our lives is self-preservation. We live our lives according to how we can preserve our way of life. How we can live our lives so much so that we don't get, uh, that we don't get put out. Or there's something that we don't miss out on something that we're making sure that the number one person, me, is being taken care of. If I'm being taken care of, then I can love from other people, right? As long as I'm being loved, that we do everything in our own ways to preserve our way of life and our hearts. We sometimes have this idea that when we we operate like this idea of uh, uh, looking at our lives through risk analysis, we make sure that everything is taken care of before we jump in, right? We, a lot of us, are toe touches. We put our toe, big toe in the pool, make sure that it's okay before we jump in. Hey, got to make sure it's warm enough. Got to make sure they love me before I get in, right? This risk analysis of way of life is how we do it. And some of us don't even look for uh, the best case scenario. We look for the least case scenario, meaning the least opportunity for me to get hurt before I even be a part of this. We choose the the minimal, the the smallest amount of parts so that I could give the minimal of myself and receive the fullness of what everything else. I just want to give a little bit before I I dive in. The problem with that scenario is that because we're not even looking for the best case scenario, we're not even thinking about God's will for that situation in our lives. Because usually when God calls us to be involved in a situation, it is worst case scenario. A lot of times we don't even choose God's will because we know that God's will for us is going to put us in a place where we're hurting and not hurting, but it's going to stretch us in our lives. You always say that we, we send these, you know, we, we send these students out to be missionaries. And we always say, well, you know, when you're younger, are you going to be a missionary? And we always think, oh, my gosh, worst case scenario, God's going to send me to no place with no water and in the middle of nowhere. And that's where God's going to send me on mission. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of there's only f- few people are called to be missionaries because they trust God enough To go and say, hey, God, whatever it is, I'm going to follow your will. And that's what God calls for all of us to be obedient to his will, not to choose risk analysis and say, hey, you know, I've got a good job. Things are going well. I don't know if God's calling me to go and be a missionary right now. 
Everything's okay. My kids are in school. They feel good. I, I, I don't know if God's calling our family to leave the U.S. God's call for our lives may be the best situation. We're just not knowing of that. And if we know that God loves us, we have to know that having faith in some eyes may even seem reckless. The idea of faith, when we think of our faith, people, a lot of people will say, that is, that's not only reckless, that's foolish, and that's absurd. How can you believe in something that you can't feel, touch, hear? And I say to them, a lot of times... It's not that this idea is that you, this idea of something you can't see or touch, but when you think of faith, it's beyond that. And God's love for us is beyond our measure. And because of that, so it's that, that God's, that our faith begins to look different. And the reason why it looks different is because, and people can't understand it, is because they haven't allowed God to love them. The full breath of Christ loving them unconditionally. When you feel God's love, you know you want to have a faith because you want that more and more. There's this something when you experience God's love, you know that that faith that you now have a faith. You desire to have a relationship with him because of the love that you have felt through his spirit. And that's the challenge. And I would say to those people who say, you know what, having faith is kind of reckless. I would pose to them, having no faith is kind of reckless in itself. Having no faith says this, I believe in nothing. And not having a faith in God that this idea and, and have not understanding God's love for us, not allowing yourself to, to push off this idea that God is greater than I am self, that God's love is bigger than I am. This idea. So because I don't want to I want to push that off, I'm going to choose not to have a faith. And for me, as a follower of Christ, I would say that's reckless because you're choosing not to understand the fullness of God and how God wants to love you and, and fill you in that emptiness that you may be feeling. Or in that understanding that you, 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 don't, you don't understand all things. But here's a God who created all things, who is all things, wants to share that with you. Open our hearts and open our, our, our minds to that. It is true that, that many of us do resist God's love, and it happens often, more often than not. Even, for, even us who are, some of us who have said, God, I, I want to love you, I want you to my, on my heart. And we still have opportunities to risk, to make excuses um, to God. A lot of us will say th- these things, and we've heard them in, in our lives. It says, uh, and, and we say these things that um, God can't love me because of what I've done. Or this excuse, God can't forgive me, not only for what I've done, but, and the other one, I, I can't get right, I will get right with God. This is, I will get right with God when I get my stuff together. When I get my stuff together, then I'll go to church, then I'll get right with God. Or this one, it's one that I share with my students that if God only knew what I did, he wouldn't forgive me. God's love doesn't care about that. God's love doesn't work the way the world's love works. 
because of the full breath of his love, breaks down all those things that we think separate us from the love of God. He allows, when God loves us and comes in, he changes those world, those words and those ideas of love because through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. Ephesians 2, 4, 5 says this, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. This passage of scripture says, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, God's loved you so much that he has made you whole. Even when you were truly disobeying him, truly going against what he wants, that in your transgressions, meaning our sin, he continued to love us. See, God changes the way the world thinks and how we think of ourselves. He changes the, the things that we can't to the things that we can. He says these things, the excuses that we just heard, that it says, God can't love me because of what, I, uh, what I've done. What God says is, God can forgive you and love you because of what he has done. I will make, I'll get right with God when I get my stuff right. God says, I will make it right with you so you can get your stuff together. If God only knew what I've done, he wouldn't forgive me or love me. I'm here to tell you this morning, God knows what you've done and has and will forgive you for what you've done and wants to love you. I studied and I I was preparing and and I was asking myself and I was struggling with this idea of recklessness and and God's love for us. Is it reckless? And I posed this question to me over and over again and I asked myself, if God's love is reckless, how can he be the author of life? How can he be the creator of the universe? How can he put the human anatomy together and be reckless when everything is to the minute detail? I think as humans, we can look at God's love being reckless because of the definition of reckless. It leads us to believe that he loves us in spite of our faults, that he laid down his life for an undeserving people, that his love for the world runs in when the world runs out. His love is so much more than just that, that God's love takes the takes on everything, all the shame that we think of ourselves and literally makes us whole out of something that should, by worldly standards, shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be given a second thought. But God, not only second thoughts, thinks about us constantly, but he's praying, but he loves us and wants to lavish his love on us in those moments when we're at our, our deepest and darkest sorrows. God's love runs in. When you think that you're alone, God says, I will not leave you or forsake you. God's love is the, is the thing that you should grasp onto rather than allowing the mind and our hearts to the idea of this, of God separating ourselves because of what he, we've done and he loves us in spite of what we've done and the bible wants to show us not only is his love reckless but i I came to this idea that i think god's love is more than reckless it's more than just that it says this it says that we are able to see god's love is steadfast in lamentations 3 23 and in psalms 25 10 i want to read it for you it says that 
As I open up my Bible, it says, it says all the paths of the Lord, in Psalms 25 it says, all the paths of the Lord are, are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. His love is not only steadfast, but God's love is an unrelenting love. It is a sacrificial love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, so God so loved you and I that he gave his only, lo- gave his only son to, um, to die on the cross for us. This is John 3.16. This sacrificial giving of an undeserving people. He gives of himself. And then he says God sent his, his very own son to die on the cross. And in love endured the wrath of God that we deserve. Scripture tells us that God's love is good. James 1.17 reads this. It says, as I find this, John 1.17 says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, wherever whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's love is not only uh, of good works, but God's love is merciful. We just read it in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, where we talk about how God's love, even in the midst of our sin, God's love is, he, he, he comes and forgives us that in Ephesians 2.24, it says that he has made us alive with Christ while we, were act, while we were in active rebellion in him. God's love is glorious and full of grace. God's love is forgiving and accepting. It drives out fear and our shame. God's love endures always. God's love, God's love is so great that uh, these descriptions that I just read of how it is that he's steadfast and it's enduring and it's sacrificial only begins to, to just begin to, to, to clear off the beginning surface of how God loves for us. In all these ways, the Bible defines God's love as so much more than being reckless. We can't allow to put our parameters on God's love for us. We can't say, God, you know, I just want to live my life. I just want to be okay. We're going to talk about that in a second, but because God's love wants to give you more than where you are right now. This understanding of God's love is almost overwhelming in our lives. That it's hard for us to take in how can God love us in these situations. Because I, the idea of God's love being reckless, there is this point where I think that God's love is going to stop. That I've sinned too many times. I've made too many sins. God's going to get bored of forgiving me. God's going to be like, you know what, Ken? That was your last one. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, I'm done. But God doesn't, it's, it's more than that. And the problem is that because we are conditioned by our minds, by the way that the world works, that we think that God's going to find so much fault in us that he's going to give up. Because on so many occasions, many of us have been are in relationships or been in family groups that we have found our point where someone has given up on us. And because they have given up on us, we find ways to give up on us ourselves. 
where God says, I want to give you more. And this is where, where the more comes in. And this is the last part of, of what I want to share with you. And it comes from this idea of, is, God, is it possible to live the way that God wants me to live and it, to take in his love and to live out of the overflow of God's love? It says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in truth. And, and you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Our challenge this morning is that we are overwhelmed. This idea of how God loves us and that God calls us to do more with our love. The Bible says we should love the Lord with all of our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. For a lot of us, that idea of love, we say, oh, I can love God. That's good. But loving our neighbors is the hard part. Those who don't love us. Those who God calls us to share the love of Christ with. What better way to do that than to share the gospel with them? Many of us sit around and we know the people that are hurting around us. And we sit silently by and allow that to happen. I, listen, there are many years that I've allowed my, for a long time, allowed friends of mine that I grew up with in high school that didn't know me as Pastor Ken. They knew me as Ken that I struggled sharing the gospel with. One, even though I was a pastor, it was hard because I didn't want to lose their friendship. I, did, I, I, didn't, I knew that the moment I talked to them, they would be like, oh, I don't even want to hear that. I don't want, I can, I know what you do, but I don't want to hear what you have to say. I want to be your friend. I don't, when we get together, you can be our friend, but if you talk about Jesus, we can't be friends. And I had to come to the point where I said, I'd rather share the gospel with you one time and not be your friend than be your friend and let you sit idly by and die in front of me, knowing that you could have the opportunity to hear the word of God. That's our challenge this morning. How many of us live our lives where we're afraid for one reason or another, whether it's in the workplace or it's at school or whatever, that we don't share the love of Christ? We are sitting on a gold mine, and yet we don't want to share it. We are sitting on forgiveness and, and wholeness in our own lives, and we are afraid to share the gospel. For one reason or another. This morning I'm going to tell us this is what God is calling for us. He doesn't call us to sit idly by. But to share the gospel no matter the diff- no matter what the consequences are. To be reckless for Christ. I believe sometimes we look at our lives in a couple of ways. I think we look at our lives this way. We look at the lives as, as, our, as our, the idea of is our glass half empty or half full? We're either half empty or half full people. Half empty people are the people that look at this and say, I am, a, you know, my life is not as where I want it to be. We live our lives, what could have, should have. I made this decision, so this would have happened. I struggle with this. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. I, I, you know what? I need more. My life's not as full as I need it to be. I need more or I don't have enough. I don't have enough. You know, I live my life and my kids and my kids, 
they don't pay attention to me. They don't listen to me. Same way our students say, my parents don't understand me. And, you know, my life stinks because my parents, they don't, they don't even hear what I'm saying. Parents and kids think the same thing about each other sometimes. And that's the, def- that's, that's the half-empty person. And if we're a half-empty person, the idea that Christ lives inside of you as a follower of Christ and that God has called you to share, nobody wants to follow someone who really is a half-empty person. I'm being honest. Why would somebody want, why would somebody want that? If you're going to claim to be, if you're a Christian, you live a life that you think everything is against you, why would I even choose God? Then there are people who are the half full people. They look at this and this, my glass is half full. Those are people who say, you know, my life's good, but it could be just a little bit better. You know, my life's full. I, I enjoy it. I have a good job. Everything's life. But I know that if I work a, a little bit extra over the weekend and I take time away and, and I work on Sunday, rather than coming to the house of the Lord and I work on Sunday, I can make that promotion that will make me a little bit happier because I'll have a little bit more time, a little more thing. And then I'll, and then I'll be able to get I'll be able to do the things that God wants me to do. But I, I'm going to take care of these things. Or we may be in a relationship with a, a significant other and we find ourselves choosing to be with that person so much so you just want to be with them and spend time with them that you forget that it's the, the weekend and that Sunday belongs to God. And you're like, all right, I'm just we're going to go away on the weekend and we're gone on Sunday. And we're going to go, we're going, well, it's a beautiful day. Saturday was going to be bad, but Sunday's good. So we're going to go on a hike and we're going to go as a couple and we're going to be with our other friends. It's going to be awesome. And this is, this is exciting and it's exciting and it's fun. And what happens is that that becomes the thing that we live for rather than the thing that God calls us to live for, which is him. And we miss a Sunday and one Sunday leads to an next. And then there's us. And as a parent, I, I can say this is that I know how busy the weekends are if we because our lives are, for a lot of us, our lives are really good. And our, we have children and God has blessed us with those children and they have activities and those activities seem to be falling always on the weekend. And it's more and more and that we find ourselves busy and more busy so much so that it fills our weekend and I can't go away. And we've said to our children, okay, you know, we're going to go this Sunday and we're not going to go to church and we're not going to leave God's Sunday holy and we're going to go do these things. And the, and then what happens is we have left our, we had told our children that, you know what, Sunday's not important and that the things that God has told us as parents to portray and to give to our children, we have told them that they don't matter. And what happens is that we are leaving a deficit, even not only in our lives, but in our children's lives because they don't value God's day. And I know that it's hard. These things are good. God has blessed us, especially half full people. We are, know that we're blessed. And we know that God wants to give us these things. And, and they are good. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. These things are good. But if these are the things that you are finding fulfilling you, I'm going to tell you just as those other people, when you look at this glass, whether it's half full or half empty, it's still at a deficit. No matter what you think, if your life is negative or you're so full and busy that you don't have time for God, when you look at it and you're a half empty or a half full person, when you look at there's a void missing in this glass. That it's stuck in the middle. That we are settling for mediocrity in our own lives and especially in our relationship with God. That we're saying, God, as long as I'm okay, I'm going to live there. 
where God's love says, no, I break down those boundaries, those perimeters that you, those parameters that you've put in me, this box that you said that my, God is saying, my love is so much bigger than that, that I call you, that we just read in the passage in Colossians, it says God's love for you wants to be overflowing, that you want, God's love for us is more than that. God's love wants to fill us, make us full. This idea that God's love is more than that. It looks like this is that we say and the world says, as long as you're okay and us in America, we live our lives and we put ourselves in situations that says, as long as I'm not living like someone else, that there's someone else below us, I'm okay. And as long as I'm okay, then that's where I want to live. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody's hurting me. There's no anything. But God says, you are still at a You are not working on your maximum capacity. All that I have called you to be, all that I have asked you to be, all that you could be, you're saying, no, God, I'm okay. God says, when you allow me to pour into you, what it looks like is this. It fills you up. It makes you whole. All those things that were deficits were one time in your life are no longer that. They're full. This void that maybe your parents have left or maybe your spouse has left and, you, and you're in the midst of something or that someone has hurt you so badly. This emptiness that you're feeling in your life that you have not allowed you to receive all that God wants to give to you. God says when you allow that, when you open up your heart and your mind, not, not only am I going to fill you. That emptiness, that void that only I can fill, God says that there's going to be a difference. It's not only going to be full, but God's love, when you allow him, that overflows. God's love for you is so much more than a deficit, that it overflows. And when God's love overflows in your life, there is something that people begin to look at you and they know that there's a difference about you. And that difference is that the living God, Jesus Christ, lives and dwells in you. You want to know what the best thing about that is when you allow God to be that person, when you allow God to be that thing that fills you and overflows in you, that that what was a deficit now becomes an overabundance of wealth and knowledge. And what happens is that you become a living, breathing testimony for God. Some of you to say, I can't share it. I don't know what to say. But when you allow God to fill you, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say a word because God is saying it for you by the actions that you do. That I tell my students and I tell us that we show up to a job that we may not like or or a class that we don't like or a teacher that we don't like or or our boss that we don't like. And we are showing the love of Christ to them. And they know that they're being wrong to us or we're in a a bad situation and we continue to love God in those moments. People are attracted to that. You don't got to say anything. They, they, they sit back and they wonder, what's, what the heck? Why? They just were wronged and yet they're still loving on that person. Why do they do that? It's Christ. It is Christ in you that God wants to see, that God wants us to do, that God's love for our neighbor is boundless just like God's love for us is. I'm going to ask the band to come up right now and we're going to close and As they come up, I just want you, I always, I, we, we, I give, I've given us the visual, but I want us to look into our own hearts as the band comes and begins to play, is that I want us to take inventory of our own lives and ask ourselves this question. Just, just be with me for a second, just close your eyes and start asking yourself this. 
Am I living out of the overflow of God's love for my life? Or am I living at a deficit? Am I allowing God to love me with the fullness, full breath and saying, God, I take it all. Or are we still in a place of making excuses to allow where we're not allowing God to love us? I expect that just as myself, as I sit here this morning, you know what? There are days, there are moments when we all need more. That we all are acting and working out of a deficit. God wants to overflow you with his love. And if you're in that place, if you're for the first time, say, God, I I want more. I want this void to be filled in my life. I'd love for you to come and speak to one of uh, Steve or myself or one of the leaders in this church or or people are going to be coming up and just being here to pray for. If you'd like to pray with them, if that's where you are, I I pray that you seek that out. But if you, you said, you know, God, I've made a commitment to you and God, I have found myself falling back into that deficit. I pray my prayer for you and for myself included is that this would be the moment. This would be the week that I change those things where I submit to your authority, where I say yes to you and no to my life. Where there are where I can no longer make excuses for my life, where I just choose to be obedient to you. God, I pray for us that this week in our lives, that the people around us will have no doubt in who we serve, who we live for, and that we will not operate out of our own power, but out of the power and the overflow of your love for us. Let's stand and sing and take the offering this morning.